Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Today we're going to be looking at the armor of God. And just in fairness, okay, um, the armor of God, uh, we could spend six weeks talking about the armor of God. And or eight weeks or ten weeks talking about each individual piece. So today's more of an overview. And it's kind of consistent with what we've been trying to do as a series. This is a short three-week series. And what we've been trying to do is essentially sound the alarm. That we are in a very real battle. And that we need to be alert and awake to it. You, you'll have a chance, an opportunity to go back and look at Ephesians 6. In fact, I would, I would challenge you. I would encourage you to, to do a deep dive into this, into this book. And, uh, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about, um, about the warfare, the, the war, the, the battle that we, that we find ourselves in. So um, just as a little bit of a disclaimer this morning, right? Uh, there's five things I wrote down, though. I do, I do want to share, just generally speaking, about spiritual warfare, five things. And, and I hope these kind of set the tone for, for how we're looking at this whole subject today, okay? Because I think sometimes we can get into the minutia and we forget about what, what, what are we really talking about here. So number one, there's an invisible war that's as real, that's as real as the visible world. So there's an invisible world out there that's just as real as the visible world. Like there is, there is a real world that's just as real as this table that's in front of me. I know we're sophisticated and we tend to not ignore that, especially in the West, but I just need you to understand something. When the Bible talks about the battle that we are in, there is a visible world out there that's just as real as this visible world, as the as invisible world, just as real as the visible world. Secondly, all of us, Okay, no one's exempt. You might have multiple PhDs here. You might be very educated. You might have, but all of us, all of us are involved in a spiritual war between good and evil. Every single one of us in this room. You may dismiss it. You may think it's not true or unreal, but we are. There's a battle raging between Satan and his demonic forces and the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And it's a very real war. We're all involved. And what's at stake is the souls of men and women. All of us are in this war. Thirdly, our enemy is formidable and powerful. And his goal is to destroy us, to deceive us, and to ruin the cause of Christ. That's his goal. He's formidable, he's powerful, and he, he wants to destroy you, he wants to deceive you, and he wants to destroy the cause of Christ in this world. Number four, we must respect our foe, but not fear him. We must respect our foe, but not fear him. We need to be aware of his schemes, we need to be aware of his tactics, we need to be aware of his strategies, but not consumed with them. And the last one, and this is the most encouraging one. As believers, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Like we are not here hoping in this battle, 
hoping to win. Hoping that we can survive the fight and get on the other end and then finally have the victory that we're looking for. We start from a position of victory. That's where we start. In Christ, you have the victory. So we don't fight from, we don't fight from a, we don't fight for victory, we fight from a position of victory. The battle has already been won. In Christ, you and I are invincible. Now, I'm not trying to say that there is not a battle going on. There is a battleground. It's not a playground. And we're in this fight together. So if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, you, you need to understand that. You don't fight for victory. You're fighting from victory. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. We're going to look at the armor of God, trying to really rapidly go through it and point a few things out along the way. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his his mighty power. So how do we live out in this power? He says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. So we need to put on this armor so we can stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We talked about that last week. Not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. It's like Paul is making a list here. Against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Like Paul is listing the the generals and the colonels and the captains and the sergeants and and, and all those those people in this kind of well-organized world that's invisible to us. So what do we do with that? Like that's who we're fighting, people we cannot see or things that we cannot see, they're invisible to us. So what do we do? Therefore, he says, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the, in the time of evil. Then, like you're gonna resist the enemy in the time of evil, then after the battle, after the battle, you will be standing firm. So the idea here that Paul is presenting is that you will be standing firm after the battle's done. Like you get to stand now and stand with these weapons and you'll be standing firm when the battle's over. It's interesting, you know, Paul is not talking about, what he's saying is that we are standing not from a position of defeat, but from a position of victory. Like you have a possession, like, like you have been set free from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. Do you understand that about yourself? Like when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. You've been given an inheritance. You are now a son of God or a daughter of God with all of its rights and privileges. That's who you are. That's your possession. So what Paul is talking about is you have this possession. Now fight with it. You have it already. It's there. I think what happens to us oftentimes in, our, in this battle, in this spiritual battle, is we forget that we are, for example, sons and daughters of God. We forget that the accuser really has no, he has no sway, has no ability to change our mind except that we give it to him. And so basically what the Apostle Paul is saying is that you don't, you're not standing firm from a position of defeat, you're standing firm from a position of victory, right? And he goes on. So how do, we, how do we fight this fight? He says, well, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the, the peace that comes from the, from the good news so you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so here, it almost sounds like this 
like our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, is saying, okay, guys, be ready for the battle. We are going into war. You're going to fight. Put on this armor. Put on this armor. I have this image of a, of a drill instructor looking at a new recruit and says, okay, this is your, this is your M4. It's your, your carbine, your, your rifle. Here's your M4. This is your body armor. Here's your M9 pistol. Listen, you need to know how to use those things. You need to know in your sleep, you have to be able to take it apart and put it back together, which I think is really an impossibility, but maybe it is possible. I don't know how in the world you could do that, but still. I, I've been, I, was, I started assembling a, an AR-15, and I, I lost a little spring. A spring just popped out, and I spent an hour looking for it underneath the car. So I, I don't think it's possible to actually take it apart and put it together in your sleep. But it's like this is what, this is what the commander-in-chief is saying. Your, your drill starts saying... You need to put it together and take it apart. You need to be able to do this. You need to be prepared. You need to know what you're doing. And why? Because your life, your very life is at stake. It's at stake. And those around you, your family, your children, their lives are at stake. And so first he talks about the belt of truth. First and foremost, the belt of truth. And there's this imagery of a Roman soldier the Ephesian people, they were familiar with Roman soldiers. They were all over the city. And so he starts with this leather belt that they wear. This leather belt was like the centerpiece of the armor. It held the breastplate on. It was what kept them tied together. And so he talks about this belt of, this belt of truth, right? Now Paul is basically helping them understand this is what you need to do. This is how you need to get ready for this war, for this battle, is putting on this armor. And he uses the first one he talks about is the belt of truth, which is interesting. Because, because the enemy, the enemy's number one weapon against you, the way he's going to mess with your life is through deception. He plays with our minds and he tries to deceive us. He uses our culture, the culture around us like you're here in church and you're talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ and all that kind of stuff and then you go to work and everybody around you is talking about the exact opposite of what you learn in church, of what you believe. And suddenly the culture around us begins to influence and begins to deceive us and maybe, maybe, maybe what I'm hearing at work is actually more valid than what I'm hearing, hearing from the Bible and maybe, and so there's deception going on. So he uses our culture around us, he uses our family of origin. He loves to lie to you about God. He loves to lie to you about who you are in Christ. He loves to lie to you about what would make you happy in this world. He loves to lie to you about your worthiness, about your identity. And so Paul says, listen, first and foremost, put on the belt of truth. We need truth in our life, right? Now we have the, we have the truth. Right? And when we hear truth here, I think instantly we go to God's word. This is truth. God's word is the truth. And we believe that 100%. In fact, our very first value here at Life Church, you'll see it on the wall in the hallway that goes towards the bathrooms. We have our values up on the wall. And the very first one is biblical truth. And this, this is what we say about biblical truth. We say the Bible presents a dangerous message of life change. That if you will embrace this book, like if you will commit yourself to Metaphorically speaking, eat this book, <laughs> right? If you'll commit yourself to that, you'll find something happens to you. It's dangerous. It causes you to start changing your, the, the behaviors that maybe you grew up with. 
It starts to cause you to change your mind about things that you used to think were right. And now God, the Holy Spirit begins to transform your mind and you start thinking, th- think, thinking differently than that. It's a dangerous message of life change. We believe the Bible is God's inerrant truth and it's the foundation of everything we do. So for sure, truth means his word. But here Paul is not simply talking about foundational truth. He's also talking about truthfulness and honesty and integrity. And how many of you know that's very, very important in this world today, right? We need to be honest with God. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with people around us. We need to walk in integrity. And so when he talks about the belt of truth, he's also speaking about integrity. In Proverbs 10, 9, it says this. People with, I love this. I read it and I decided to use it. People with integrity walk safely. Like there's a security when you're truthful. There's a security when you're honest. You don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to kind of remember the lies that you said to somebody else because they're lies. And you don't have to worry about those things. There's security when you walk in integrity. And it starts, it starts with even the smallest of things. A couple weeks ago I was, uh, uh, I was at Come and Go. Uh, I don't know what in the world got into come and go, but they built one right pretty close to my house. So I go there very often. <laughs> in fact, it's so close to my house that Christy and I will actually be lying in bed at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and I shall say, hey, you want to go to come and go get, get a drink? <laughs> so that's how close it is. And so I stopped at come and go, and I picked up some snacks, little snacky things that come and go, you know, and... Um, and it came out to like $7 and change. And so I pulled my wallet out. I gave him a $20 bill. And then uh, uh, I, I normally get the change back, you know, and there's a, you have to t- scoop it out of the thing first. And the bills, they gave it to me. I just put it in my hand and my, grabbed my, my stuff and I walked to the truck. I sat in my truck and normally what I do is I sit in my truck and then I, get my st- I try to organize my bills. I'm a little bit, you know, like that, OCD about things. I start organizing my bills, and I realized that instead of having $12 in change back, I had $17 in change back. I had an extra $5 bill. And, you know, I'm like, like a lot of people would be like, yes, the Lord's blessing me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hallelujah. I'm living righteously for God, so he gave me an extra $5. That's kind of how we tend to think. Um, but, but, you know, it, it wasn't that. <laughs> At all. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I could have come up with all kinds of rationale. I could say, you know, come and go. They're a multi-million dollar company. They don't need these $5. That's a valid rationale. I could have said, you know what? I'm in a place right now where I really need money and maybe this is a blessing from the Lord. But I didn't. Instead, I got up and I walked in back in there and I handed the guy the $5 bill. And it was, it was funny. His face was like, what are you doing? What? What? That's, f- dude, like I could, he, he didn't say it, but I could read his mind. He's like, dude, that's free money. You know, it was gone. You didn't have to do this. I would have never known kind of thing, right? But I give it back. You see, integrity starts with the smallest of things. The smallest of things. And I want to challenge you on that because sometimes we excuse a lot of the small things in our lives. I know a man built a great business, had a beautiful family, wife and beautiful children, but one small lie, one illicit glance turned into another, 
then another, then another, then another until he lost everything. The belt of truth is having no disguise before God and men. No disguise before God. It's honesty. It's no denial. That means if when you have a porn problem, you find somebody that you trust and say, bro, I have a porn problem. That means when you cannot control your drinking, you find someone you love and, and, and that cares about you, and you say, I am struggling. I have a drinking problem. It's learning to live in the light. It's learning to reject the darkness. It's having the heart of David, like he says in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God. Search me. Like what David is saying is he could pretend to be a great king, but he knows that what's really, really important is what's inside of him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. It's no hiding, no disguising, no pretending. In fact, this is a prayer that I pray almost every single day. When you play around the truth, you become a target for the enemy. Secondly, he talks about the body armor of God's righteousness. I'm going to have to move through this quickly. <clears throat> maybe, your, maybe your translation says breastplate of righteousness. Again, the imagery is of a Roman soldier. They used, to, they used to have this armor that they would wear, typically made out of bronze. Uh, sometimes they would have chain mail, and if a sword ever hit that thing, it would just bounce right off. It was protecting their vital organs. So righteousness that Paul is talking about here is not just, it's not just positional righteousness. Not this, you know, the positional righteousness is that Jesus paid the price for your sin. Do you understand that? If you're a born-again Christian here, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, Jesus paid the price for your sin. There's nothing that you can do, no works that you can manufacture, make happen, that would make you more righteous to God than what you are because of what Jesus has done for you. He already paid the price. That's positional righteousness. But I think here Paul is talking not just about positional righteousness, but he's talking about practical righteousness. That is, he's talking about doing the right thing. Learning to do the right thing, doing what is right. It's the practical application of the truth in your life. James chapter 4 talks a little bit about this. He says, remember, it is sin. It's sin to know what you ought to do. In other words, you know what you're supposed to be doing, and you do not do it. It turns into sin. Practical righteousness, doing what is right. And so essentially wearing the body armor of God's righteousness, committing yourself to just doing what is right. So, you know, a couple things to ask yourself about this, Right? Some things that, that, that when you think about what you ought to do, what you know you're supposed to do and you do not do it, are there things that you know you're supposed to be doing? Like maybe there's that little voice say, saying to you, hey, hey, listen, that, that relationship you're in is toxic and you know you're not supposed to be in that relationship. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is talking to you about what you're watching and how it's actually damaging your soul. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about how your, how your finances and your priorities are completely upside down and you're chasing after things when God really wants you to focus in on a relationship with him. It's also responding to, to what you know is true. Like, is there anybody, the Bible talks about this forgiveness, is there anybody that you have not forgiven? Are you holding bitterness in your heart towards someone or something have you elevated your political views over and above unity? 
unity in the church, but even sometimes unity within your family. You find that you're always at odds with a child or a parent over political views, and your family's not unified, and you know what you need to do. If Jesus were to come and he was to look at your Facebook stream, your Facebook feed, would he, would he see kindness and gentleness and love and care and dignity to, to, human, to, to other humans? Or would he see, you know, hate and rage and all kinds of rhetoric? <clears throat> so are you wearing the body armor of righteousness? Or more specifically, are you making right choices? Thirdly, he talks about the shoes put on, for shoes put on, the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. Again, here's the imagery of a Roman soldier. Roman soldier wore these leather sandals. These leather sandals then would be, they'd have these, these leather ties that they would interlace with the sandals and then they'd wrap all the way up to their knee. This protection. The soles of the sandals on the front of the soles of the sandals, there, the, there were these spikes, these nails that they would put through there so they'd be able to have you know, a strong foothold. So this is what he's presented, right? This is what's out there. And so what Paul in many ways is talking about here is when he talks about being fully prepared, it's this idea of having a strong foothold. The gospel gives you a strong and firm foundation. It gives you a strong foothold. That's what the gospel brings. When you know the gospel, you're on solid ground. But the enemy, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And what he wants to sow in your mind, he wants to sow deceit, he wants to sow uncertainty, he wants to sow doubt, he wants to sow condemnation. And all of those things make it kind of shaky. Your ground is shaky when you're doubting. When you're uncertain about a decision between right and wrong, you're on shaky ground. Like if you've been set free with the gospel of grace, Satan loves to attack that. He loves to come against it. He wants to lie to you about all kinds of things. He's going to lie to you about you not measuring up. He's going to lie to you about your worthiness, about your identity. He's great at reminding you about your sin. Like, hey, I know what you did last night. In fact, in fact, right now in this room, there's probably a few of you in this room that, that the enemy is saying, you hypocrite. Like, you were a total butthead on the way to church this morning to your family. And you made, you just, you, and now you're sitting here all pretending like, oh, you're all great and all that. You're a hypocrite. But he's a liar. He's a liar. And so the practice here is to know the gospel. Know that your salvation is secure in Christ. Do you understand that your salvation is secure in Christ and that you're on a solid foundation? You shall not, you shall not be, be moved. The enemy loves to attack with his lies. So that you need to be, so, so the gospel of peace makes you fully, fully prepared. Number four, um, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith, he says, to stop every fiery arrow, stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Right? Again, Roman soldier imagery here, a shield. They have the shield, which is, uh, they had the, the smaller shield, the kind of the hand-to-hand combat shield, but then they had the bigger shield, the four-foot by two-foot shield that had these little hooks that would interlock. It was made out of metal, uh, sometimes like iron, and then there was these two um, like wood uh, slat, wood pieces that were on on the inside and the outside, and there was a gap in between them. The outside, the outer wood was was covered with leather, and so the reason for that was when they would shoot this arrow, it would hit that outside, and the gap in there would actually cause this arrow to be extinguished. 
And so Paul describes the shield of faith as a weapon that stops the fiery arrows of the devil. I would categorize these arrows as lies or half-truths. It's that, it's that temptation to take a second look. It's that proposition to, to you know, while you're on a business trip. It's, um, it's uh, tempting you with not giving $5 back to the come-and-go guy. <laughs> right? The shield of faith is there so at the moment you're bombarded, bombarded or you're tempted, tempted or lied to, you hold up the shield and you stand against the attacks of the enemy. <clears throat> I remember early on in ministry when I was a young pastor, I was, I, I, you know, I hadn't preached a whole lot before I, when I started in my first church. I actually planted a Puerto Rican church and I hadn't preached a whole lot. So I would spend an ungodly number of hours preparing sermons, just trying to get myself ready to preach on Sunday morning. And, uh, and then Saturday was miserable. You can ask my wife, Saturday, you know, would, should be like a day off and ha hanging out with the kids and family. Not for me. <laughs> for me, it was like, I, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm paralyzed. I got to preach tomorrow. I got to get my sermon down and all day long. And sometimes it'd end all the way till like midnight, right? And by midnight, I'd be like, okay, I feel good about this. I'm going to preach this tomorrow morning. And then the morning would roll around. And I, I clearly remember these moments the enemy would say to me just before I preach, you know what, you're not ready. <laughs> you're not ready to deliver that. And by the way, who are you to preach to other people? You're not, you're not a very good dad. You're not a very good husband. Like you're just kind of, and you know, sometimes when, when that would happen, it would really mess with my mind. It would paralyze me. I would be preaching, trying to encourage people out there. And inside my head, I'm like, what am I doing up here? Well, you, you're a loser. You, you, you shouldn't be up here. You shouldn't be doing this. It's only over time that I realize, you know what? I have a weapon. I'm going to put up that shield, and I'm not going to listen to those lies because that's what they are. They're lies trying to really destroy what God is doing. So Paul talks about the, that shield of faith. Then he says, he goes in verse 17, he says, put on the salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Salvation as your helmet. Put on salvation as your helmet. The helmet was made of bronze and leather. It was very strong. And the idea here is of our security in Christ. Now, when we think of salvation, especially in the West, we t t tend to think of justification by faith. Again, what we talked about earlier, that, that Jesus paid the price, and, and when he paid the price for me, I am now, sa I am now saved. I am now righteous. I, I stand before him. In, in right I'm a saved person. None of my own doing, none of my works, none of anything I've done, I stand before him as, as safe. I'm justified by faith. But an additional understanding of salvation could be also deliverance. Not instead of, but in conjunction with, is this idea of deliverance. And so here the helmet of salvation is this promise of God of deliverance. And it's in the passive voice, which means... Um, when he says, put on the helmet of salvation, when he says that, instead of passive voice, it doesn't actually mean you grab the helmet and put it on. The passive voice means that it's being done to you. It's this idea that you have an armor bearer who you're about to go into battle and you need to be protected, you need to be delivered, so this armor bearer takes this helmet and basically places it on your head and that's your salvation, that's your deliverance. And that's the idea behind this, this passage. It's this Romans 12, 2 kind of idea. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. Listen, 90% of the spiritual warfare that you and I engage in is up here. It's in your mind. It's the voices that tell you, that, that you tell yourself things about yourself. It's the voices that you, that are in there t- talking about that other person, that enemy of yours or that person and what they're doing to you. It's the voices that tell you who God is or who he's not. It's in your mind. The battleground for your heart, the battleground for your life is in your thinking. In your thinking. That's why Paul tells in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, we are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons. We talked about this last week. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to what? To knock down strongholds of human reasoning. Up here. Knock down strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. Again, stuff that we think. Our fight is really about taking our thoughts captive, about fighting this war in, against strongholds of human reasoning, against ideologies, and submitting those to Christ. Listen, <clears throat> issues of gender fluidity, of sexuality, of materialism, issues surrounding you know, this desperate pursuit for happiness, those are all rooted these, all these lies, they're just rooted in the lies of the enemy. And too often we listen to them and we take them in. And so we need to put on the helmet of salvation. We need our mind to be transformed. Knowing the truth, wearing the helmet of salvation is our true pathway to salvation. Last, lastly, I'm really speeding through this. Lastly is verse 17. It says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Listen, if you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, my prayer is that you would master this book. This is more than just decor in the living room. There's something amazing to be said and found in, the, in, in this book. Metaphorically speaking, I would encourage you to eat this book, right? The Bible encourages us to consistently meditate on its words, to memorize its words. It's constantly talking to us about, about having it on our mind on a, on a regular basis. And so maybe the question to ask ourselves about God's word and the, you know, the, the sword of the spirit, the question to ask ourselves is, what are we med- meditating on? What, what are we taking in all the time? Because if we're not in this book, but instead, you know, we've got our, our phone out and we're just kind of scrolling social media. And it's become a habit where it's just on a regular basis. You know what? You're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel anxious about the world that you're in because that's, what's, that's what you're consuming, right? If it's, you know, if it's... Uh, if, if instead of being in God's word, you're kind of consumed with watching Fox News or CNN, you're going to be afraid. You're going to be afraid about our future. You're going to be afraid about, about the economy. You're going to be afraid about terrorism. You're going to be afraid about all kinds of things if that's what we're consuming. So we are to hide God's word in our heart. We're to take in God's word. God's word helps us basically sift through the noise of this world. I found that personally uh, uh, has been so, such a powerful thing in my own life. I've, I've experienced that personally when, when, when problems come or I hear of news or somebody comes and says something to me that seems pretty devastating. It is devastating in the moment, but very quickly 
the word of God begins to kick in and give it perspective and understanding and knowledge. And all of a sudden now, it's not, I'm not so terrified. I'm not so concerned. I'm not so worried. In fact, the word of God is the greatest gift that you can have in your life. In fact, it's the greatest gift that you can give to your kids and to your grandkids. It's the thing that you release. When you release your kids into the world, release them with the word of God. Amen. There's this interesting comparison. We don't have time to get into this comparison between Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4, but it's an interesting comparison I would encourage you to look at at some point. Um, In both of those chapters, the enemy comes against Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 and against Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, and he tempts them, right? And so that's that's the story. You could ask questions like, so how did the enemy tempt Adam and Eve? How did the enemy tempt Jesus. Why is it that the enemy succeeded against Adam and Eve but did not succeed against Jesus? And what you're going to find very quickly, it's the word of God. Word of God. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes along and Jesus is physically weak, but he's spiritually strong, and he tempts him, and this is where he starts. He says, if you're the son of God, like he he wants to get get him to doubt his identity, are you really the son of God? Can you really do these things? And make you start questioning yourself, am I really? So for us, practically speaking, when the enemy comes against you, he says, are you really a Christian? Look what you just did. And then it runs us, depending on how you respond to it, it throws you into this spiral of doubting yourself, and oftentimes leads to even greater sin and greater sin and greater sin. <clears throat> so Satan comes against him and says, Are you, if you're the son of God, God, and then he challenges him with all these different things. He challenges his identity. He challenges him with physical lust. He challenges him with the pride of life. And each time when the enemy does that against Jesus, Jesus responds with this word, it is written. It is written. The word of God says this. Like Jesus had hidden the word of God in his heart and he was ready and prepared to come against the enemy. I can't tell you the number of times that's been my own experience. 17 years ago when we first started the church, um, I remember we had a lot of challenges starting Life Church. We met here in the Corvo Rec Center. And uh, initially we had a lot of challenges, but 2008 we had a significant, I would say at that time a significant challenge, just a very minor challenge in comparison to, 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 to today. But in 2008, we had like a mini church split. I say mini church split because we were like 60 people and like five people left. So I don't know what that means. You know, I think nowadays five people leave regularly from Life Church. I don't know. So, uh, so but back then it was a split. And, um, and so we had this, this thing happen. I, I'm not going to go into the details of what happened, but essentially there was a, a group of people that felt like the vision of Life Church was not sufficient and that we needed to change the vision of Life Church and the values of Life Church. That was the biggest challenge. And so we kind of butt heads quite a bit. But what happened for me, what was difficult for me, is that two of these individuals were people that I had spent a lot, considerable, considerable amount of time praying with, spending time in, you know, in, in meetings with, and... Um, talking about vision, talking about, you know, reaching lost people. And then it turns out that they were the instigators of this. And so to be honest with you, at that time, I felt like I had been stabbed in the back. And it threw me into a funk. It really did. I, I found myself just uh, second-guessing whether I was really supposed to be here. I wasn't sure that I was doing, you know, the right thing. 
I was thinking things like, I left a really good job in California. Why did I move my family here to make no money and then have people stab me in the back? You know, those kind of thoughts were running through my head. And so around the same time, I had two friends who pastored really large churches. One was a church of like 4,500 people in, in Hampton, Virginia. And then another friend in Springfield, Missouri, large church, over 2,000 people. And he, he called me. They both called me around the same time and said, Rich, we really want you to be on staff with us. And let me tell you something. That was really tempting. The, 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 the offers were with money, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> that, that, that became even more tempting, right? And I remember... Hearing that, just so you know, those phone calls, even though they were good friends of mine, pastors and all that, that those were still attacks from the enemy. They, they weren't doing it intentionally that way, but that's what it was for me. There was a temptation for me to basically kind of go with that and basically abandon this, this thing, this vision, this dream called Life Church. And I remember hunkering down in my basement, crying out to God and pulling out his word, and I had written little promises that I felt like God had spoken to me from his word about planting this church. And I, I was going through them and I just weep and I was spending some time in fasting. I was just weeping and crying over it. And I feel like the Lord just began to put this fortitude in me. Like the word of God became alive inside of me at that moment. And it led towards making this, uh, this faith call that I made in April of 2009. I got up in front of everybody in 2009 and, and I... And I said, okay, by this time next year, we're going to be in our own building. That seemed like an, it was an impossibility, really, but I said that. And I said, and we're going to, by the end of the year, we're going to double our missions giving because we wanted to, we knew that there was, there was blessing in, in being gen generous. And so we're going to double our missions giving. And then the third thing was every year for the next three years, we're going to double in, double in attendance at Life Church. And then I went home and I was like, what in the world, Rich? What are you saying? <laughs> Why'd you say that? And, um, but it's exactly what happened. Let me tell you something. There is power. There is power in God's word. And when he speaks to you from his word, there is power in that. Amen. I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to ask a question. Cedar Rapids, as you're watching, I want to ask you as well. I want you to stand with me and... The question is very simple. Are you wearing God's armor? I, I wish I could have spent maybe more detailed time with each one of the pieces. I challenge you and encourage you to go back and do some, some of your own research on that. But fundamentally, are we prepared for the battle? Are we wearing God's armor? Or are we treating this battleground like a playground? It's all about fun and games and no big deal. Are you wearing God's armor? You're in a battle right now. And if you're not wearing his armor, you're a target and he can take you out. Let me make it more practical. Are you walking in integrity? Are you walking in integrity? Are you doing what is right? These are all kind of similar. Is the gospel your solid foundation? Like when you feel like you're on shaky ground, are you leaning into the truth of the gospel? Is the gospel your solid foundation? When the enemy comes against you with lies, are you resting, resting with God's truth? It's God's truth coming in and you're basically leaning into it when the enemy's coming against you. Are you standing on the word of God? Amen. Father, we just want to thank you because we know you're here. We know you're present. We know you're moving in our lives. 
We know, Father, that we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory. And right now, Father, there are, your children are here in this room and in Cedar Rapids and in Wilton. And they're your children. Some of them, Father, are, have been in the fight of a life. And the enemy has come against them in their mind and their thinking. Their identity has been crushed. Their worthiness has been crushed. These are all lies of the enemy. We come against the enemy right now. He has no power. He has no authority. He has no dominion over them. And Jesus, we proclaim your word. Your word is powerful. Your word, God, can change a man, a woman's life. So right now, may your word flow forth, God. Change lives, touch lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.